How's it going? My friend, how are you? You know what? I am great. I cannot complain. What, what do you got there? A little bottle of New Riff. Excellent. Bourbon. Uh, I thought, thought we would, uh, you know, class up the joint a little bit. There know? you go. <laughs> That's a way to do it. But uh, yeah, we're doing a, uh, this is from a barrel pick that we did um, with, you know, gun. Uh, we were celebrating uh, our 13th millionth player in Friday the 13th. Oh, so, nice. We did a little barrel million. pick with our friends at New Riff Distillery. Holla, holla at New Riff. Good, good folks there. Nice. So we're going to gonna pour a little bit for our festivities. I'm already one shot in, uh, but mm. I've been threatened with up to five more. So <laughs> I'm behind. I'm behind. It's good times. Okay. Good times. Cool. I got your chat pulled out here. I'm ready to go in case there's a, a question. But uh, how are you doing, friend? How are you? You know, I'm great. Uh, it's it's really nice. I'm really enjoying my time at Insomniac. It's actually, I'm a couple weeks away from a year there already, which is wild. Uh, hey, what a cool studio to work at. It's awesome. And being fully remote is great. Like, not mm -hmm. only, I'm, I'm fully remote, and I'm working at a great studio on a Spider-Man game, which is my favorite superhero. So it's kind of hard I mean, to complain, on. right? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't complain. How are you? You know, I'm 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 well now. I had you know a bit of a a health issue recently that I've tried to be public about to help others. I dealt with kidney stones. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they are um, no fun. They are no joke. I mean, for reals, it was it was rough. But um, yeah, I dropped some I dropped some tips online about uh, you know drinking water and. Uh, one of your waters a day, squeeze a fresh lemon in it because if you have citrate in your body, calcium cannot form into a stone because calcium is kind of sticky unless you have citrate in your body. So drink water with a lemon in it every day. There you go. Here's your, uh, here's your pro tip for the, for the day because trust me, you do not want to try to pass. You do anything. not. I had, a, <laughs> I had a 12 millimeter stone. The human body can only pass a three millimeter stone. So they had to stick a laser in me and destroy it. And so I got to pee gravel and sand for about two weeks. <laughs> Dude. I So I've had them rough. five separate times. And Oh, wow. Seriously? Yeah, I've had five. And all five Jesus, were dude. small enough to pass, which was nice. Uh, mm. But man, it... Like, what I try to tell people is it it feels like someone sticks a knife in your side and just continues mm. to twist it and they don't let up. Yeah. And it doesn't get yeah. any better. Like it, <laughs> it's nope. ridiculous. Not until it's gone. And then you're like, oh, thank Jesus. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I had like 48 hours of hell and then it got, it got better. Oh. But uh, we'll talk about um, me taking out my own stint on some other podcast. <laughs> Well, let me make a note of that. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you inviting me to come on here. It's always fun to, it's fun to do podcasts and stuff and talk about the things that we love. But it's even more cool when it's with like a friend. So I appreciate you, you uh, inviting me to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that you were up for it. You know, it's uh, we have a good time here. We hang out and you know, there's just chilling. It's, I always tell people it's my favorite night of the week because I just get to hang with a friend and drink and talk about games like. Mm. Who wouldn't love doing that? So, oh look, somebody in your chat calling you out. It's uh, chainsaw. Two words, not chainsaw. Oh, did I? Where did I do that wrong? 
I, oh, I don't know. But right there in the it's credits. Someone, it's someone being uh, nitpicky, <laughs> but because here's the, the story. We'll jump into a little story time before we get into the the meat and potatoes. But um, so it was originally written as chain and saw two words, and that was how it was uh, marketed in the states, and no one watched it. Um, it didn't do well when they first like rolled it out and it almost got shelled and then they took it overseas and it started to do a little better. And then they could do a full rollout of the film in America, like, you know, coast to coast instead of like little mm-hmm. theaters here and there. But when it made the jump over to the European market, they thought it was a typo. And so they smashed it together. Cause they're like chainsaws, one word, like that must just have been a typo. And so all this marketing material, started coming out of the poster that was spelt chainsaw as one word. And of course, Kim Hinkle was like, no, 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 I, I purposefully, you know, did it this way. And, um, and it was like the kind of the cat was already out of the bag, like the marketing was already kind of running. So you'll see posters where it's spelt either way. Interesting. So it's not necessarily like you're wrong, but there are some diehards that'll be like, no, it's chainsaw <laughs> two words, which is why we did that in our game is we went back to the OG. It's, chain saw i will fix that and what i have going for it i did not know that that's that's a really interesting story too you'll also learn about me i have no problem admitting mistakes and i'll fix them Mm. right because that's (laughs) in game development we make mistakes all the time so percent yes yep yeah if you're if you're not okay with saying that you're wrong you're not going to be you're not going to do well in game dev right sure yeah or you're going to be a total jerk no one wants to work with you some have been successful that way, less so these days, I think. But uh, yeah. Mm. So cool. I, I, so I have two. I have two starting questions, and I'm not sure if you want to meld these or if you have an order for these. But I'm kind of curious, what got you interested in horror, and what got you interested in making games? Like those, I think those okay. are. I don't know how much overlap there is in those, but mm. yeah. When I was a kid. Uh... I was standing out in front of a movie theater and um, they had, they were changing out movie posters. And uh, I think we're picking up my sister who had been there. She's five years older than me. So she'd been there with her friends. I was a kid. I was six or seven, seven, I think. And I'm watching the guy switch the posters out and he puts up a poster for a game, uh, a game for a film called Return of the Living Dead. And it had like this sort of punk motif the the zombies had mohawks and it was like neon lettering and i was like wow and i was like mom i want to go see that and she was like mm, i don't know and i was like please i want to go see it like this looks like the coolest thing i've ever seen this poster looks so rad and so she was like okay um knowing what would probably happen so <laughs> Fast forward to the, like that Friday night or whatever, and she took me out and got a little happy meal, whatever the hell I got. She's like, "Yeah, oh yeah, we're going." And so she takes me in to watch this movie, and I think I made it about, I don't know, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes in. Basically, when if fans of the film know, um, after the trioxin barrel has been opened, and there's a cadaver that's in a ice room that's like has these hooks in its head hanging from the ceiling. And it starts wiggling yep. and jerking. And I was like, nope, <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, and it just created this like kind of morbid curiosity for me that was like, I don't know. It was like, it, it, it kind of struck a chord uh, with me. And so 
when I would go to the grocery store with my mom, I, I was small enough to fit under the cart, you know, where you would pour, put like a 24-pack mm-hmm. of soda or something. I would sit under that cart. Um, and so I, first thing I do is run the magazine section. I pick up a Mad Magazine and I pick up Fangoria. And I would put Mad, Mad, Mad Magazine on the outside so my mom didn't know I was reading Fangoria. <laughs> and I would sit under the, 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 while she was doing the laps to get groceries, you know, reading Fangoria like cover to cover. And it became like this, I don't know, like I had to figure out the, the magic trick or something. Like how are they, how can they do this? Like how, what are the tricks to make people scared? And uh, yeah, and I, so I learned about Tom Savini and I'll just learn about like practical effects and, and what films are scary and why. And it just, yeah, it kind of became a, a thing that I just in, in enjoyed watching. And it, and it solidified during that time period so now when I try to watch like modern horror films, like they don't grab me the same way. So mm. I think there's like some nostalgia that's like mixed in for me that like I try to watch something new and I'm like, mm, you know, I mean, The Conjuring, like, yeah, I know it's scary and people think it's really good, but it's like so slick. It's like so over, you know, the production value is so good that it, uh, it, I don't know, I get disconnected from it. And I want to watch like trashy, bad horror movies on Shudder, you know, mm. like. I just keep going back to that. And then I fell in love with Giallo movies, which are Italian uh, horror films that that's what created Western slasher films. So I, I fell in love with that because it was like, wow, this is the DNA of what led to slashers. So anyway, it's kind of been a, a, a lifelong thing. I, I wouldn't say I'm like, like a massive horror head and all I do is watch horror movies. Like that's not the case. I watch a lot of everything and same for the video games that I play. I don't just play horror. I play a lot of things, but I do, I do tend to come back to it. Um, you know, it's kind of like chicken noodle soup or something, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna sit down and watch this horror movie. Um, and your second question was, how did I get into game dev? Is that what you said? Before we go on to that, I want to ask a couple of questions about what you just said. So I have a general question. I'm always curious about this. And when you're, you pick up the magazine, right. And you're looking through it. How do you read a magazine? Do you start at the beginning and read through, or are you Mm -hmm. like me? and not normal where you have to look at every page first to make sure there's that you find the most interesting thing to read first. Uh, yeah, I think I open straight to the middle and then I, I kind of just flip back and forth real quick to find something that grabs my eye. And then I tell, I kind of hone in on that. And then I, I read that, but you know, I was such a young age then, like if the word was more than four letters, I was probably like, what's that word? And so I would just sort of <laughs> skip past it. And it was more like, the pictures and seeing the like behind the scenes of how did they make uh, an American werewolf in London or how did they make, you know, like all these scenes. Uh, Cause Fangoria was a good mixture of uh, a lot of great behind the, you know, behind the scenes sort of images of how, how they, it's magic, right? That's what it was. It was, you know, scaring people is um, misdirection and magic tricks and uh, using these very crude, tools to like make an effect look so real you know on on the screen you know that what you don't see just below the frame is like some guy with a windex bottle full of like red food color water spraying it you know (laughs) it's like just stuff like that that i was like this is fascinating you know yeah and how did you like how did you get your exposure to the films growing up like what was your access to that stuff we had hbo okay so that was pretty good. Um, of course, home uh, going into like a VHS store and being able to rent tapes. My, my my mom was pretty 
relaxed on the movies I wanted to get. Um, she would look at the cover too, look at the back and kind of make a decision if she thought, eh, maybe too much for you or too extreme. Uh, for some reason, she was always cool with like the Puppet Master ones because she was like, oh, it's like a kid horror movie. And I'm like, it's not. But <laughs> but she would let me get them because the cover was always like, you know, little toys. And so she'd be like, yeah, you know, Chucky, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's fine, you know. And I think she watched one Friday the 13th and was like, well, I mean, there's there's usually boobs in it, but, eh, you know, like it's probably okay. Um yeah, she'd like to tell me to cover my eyes if it was like a, a nudie scene, but yeah, it was totally fine with Jason with a machete just like hacking people up. She's like, man, it's all make-believe. He knows it's make-believe. So, well, anyway. a, lot, a lot at that time, a lot of that stuff didn't actually show the violence so much, right? Like it would lead up to it and then cut away. It depends on, yeah, it depends on which, which one you're talking about, like which film series. Uh, Friday 13th kept dialing that up more because they knew that's what put, you know, sort of butts and seats in the theater. Mm. You know, if you watch the first few, they're not quite as gory as when you start getting up into the later films. Um, you know, with, with six being <clears throat> six being one of the best, in my personal opinion, anyone in chat who says I'm wrong is wrong, but um, <laughs> then you got Kane coming in at seven and they really just started they became more and more ridiculous, more and more over the top. Jason became more supernatural um, and more body count. Like they just kept dialing that up, you know? So it really depends on which film you're talking about. Like for Texas, the first, you know, Texas film in 1974 actually has very little gore. There's almost no blood in it. Yeah. Um, it's all perceived violence, off camera violence, um, which if you ask people that haven't seen that movie in maybe 20 years and you, they would be like, oh my God, yeah, dude, it's a gore fest. It's like, oh man, it's so bloody. And like, you know, watch it again. You know, it's actually not at all. So, yeah, there was a lot of lead up in Texas, right? Like a lot of suspense building up until it got to the, the, those first, you know, real interactions. Yeah. That's what I think. I mean, when people talk about that original film, it's, it's in the discussion of all film, not just horror, right? Like it's, it's, it's it's the same way people talk about The Shining, you know, that it, it um, it's it's good filmmaking. It's not just, man, that's a good horror movie. You know, like what Toby Hooper did, uh, no one had seen before. No one had seen that kind of storytelling mixed with brutality and this like the oppressive heat of Texas, like capturing all that, that on film. No one had done that, like in an unflinching, unnerving, never look away, longer cuts, not scared of wide shots on things, um, not scared of silence. Uh, one of the first films you watch in the world of horror that doesn't have much of a soundtrack. Mm. Like there's, there is, there is audible sound, but I wouldn't call it music. You know, like there's, there, there are things there happening, very ambient, very creepy things here and there, but there's also the use of, there is no sound. There is no, you know, soundtrack that you're hearing at that, at that time. So yeah. that's another thing that you didn't see in a lot of horror. There was always a lot of, like from the Hammer films, uh, you saw a lot where they wouldn't allow silence. It always had an orchestral sort of thing that came up under it, always. Like they wouldn't let something just sit there silently. You immediately heard strings or you immediately heard, you know, piano and stuff starting to come in because there was this like, I don't know. It was a, just some driving force that was like, you gotta have a sound always to fill the space and, and keep the, the, the viewer like fixated on what they're watching. Cause if you don't, you'll lose them. 
And Toby Hooper was like, nah, like my filmmaking will keep you glued to this regardless of what you're hearing. And it made like when the chainsaw fires cut through that even more so. It makes a scream far more impactful if there's if it's not mixed in with the soundscape of the film. It's just bam, it's there right in your face. It's it's dry, it's hard, um, it it's impactful. And that's what like, one of the just many uh, pillars of that film that why film buffs sit around and talk about the nineteen seventy four Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a special movie. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely like I didn't I didn't grow up a a major horror fan. I actually had some pretty traumatic experiences with it when I was younger. Like I'd go yeah. visit my dad in Texas, and we'd watch a movie late at night, and then he would go to work the next day, and I'd be home by myself. And mm -hmm. uh, that was uh, that oh, was don't get it, scary. Don't get it twisted. The first time I saw Jaws, <laughs> I had a water bed, and I was like. No, like I slept on the floor for like three days as a kid. My mom would come and be like, why do you have your sleeping bag out on the floor? And I'm like, ah, I just want to act like I'm camping out, mom. And she's like, okay. And I'm like side eyeing my bed, like Jaws is in there and he's going to kill me. You know, like, uh, coming out of the water bed. Yeah, exactly. I didn't say oh, I was man. a smart kid, right, yeah. but yeah, don't get it twisted. There was trauma, like, but that trauma like forms you. Like when you're in your raw state as a kid, when you're the clay being molded, you know, you, you, you need a Jaws in there to, to, you know, form you, yeah. turn you into what you, what you are, you know? Friday the 13th was my big one. That was, and, yeah. and I, and I grew up in the woods of Kentucky. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, like it was, uh, Same. always very, uh, uh, you know, it felt like it was at hand, you know, <laughs> anytime it was dark. So, mm -hmm. oh yeah. All Most right. Definitely. Did you go to a summer camp as a kid, by the way? I did. Yeah. A few times. Did you do 4-H? No, uh, we mm. did, um, um, I don't even know who it was through actually. Now I did it for about three years mm. in, uh, at Levi Jackson state park in, in sure. London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was, uh, that was kind of home turf for me. So it was only like 10 minutes away, something like that, but still, yeah. it was a very, and, and it was always a bunch of older kids there. So I felt, you know, like, mm. It was it was a very eye opening experience in my yeah. in my young young years for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love the summer camp. I, I went to them every time they had one. I'm like hell yeah, and I would always be thinking like, man, Jason's gonna come out any minute. Yep, no kill on you. <laughs> I always get that that little extra pep in my step when I had to walk through a dark area. You know. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about games a little bit. What yeah. uh? Where did your love for games start? Uh, birth. Yeah, I mean, I remember not being. I remember my uh, cousin having to pick me up and put me on the couch so that I could play uh, combat on Atari mm -hmm. Twenty Six Hundred with him. Uh, that was the first time I remember seeing a video game. So I was probably four, three or four, um, and played uh, played combat and we played pitfall mm -hmm. those were the two first games i played and then i was like oh my god this is the best thing i've ever seen my parents wouldn't buy me one because they're too expensive so fast forward till later in life when the nes came out and then we bought one of those and uh yeah then it was just hooked for life you know like uh, never stopped playing I, I take it back i think i took a break from like 17 to probably 20 mm -hmm. uh, and went hard on music oh 
thought that that was like something that I just something I got really passionate about. And I, I tend to kind of obsess whenever I'm like, this is a thing I want to do. Like I really get into it. So I, I kind of stopped playing for a while. And what brought me back actually was Ronnie. Um, I think I was, I played a few games and I was like, yeah, cause I remember I played like Team Fortress Classic and some other, like mostly PC games. I, I was a PC gamer after, like NES and then I played like we didn't have money to like keep buying all the systems so my dad would let us rent one every now and then so we mm. rent like a PS1 uh, we played those like chopper chopper lifter my like, chopper games and stuff like that with my brothers and then Resident Evil came out and I was like oh my god like my brain couldn't handle it it melted uh, and I thought I rented it pretty much every weekend until my dad was like you have to stop because like <laughs> it's expensive to rent a PlayStation you know on a Friday morning and you know take it back on a Sunday Back in the day, you know, I, I want to say it was like fifteen or twenty bucks a day or something. Yeah, that sounds right. To rent it, and then the game was like five bucks a day too. So my dad's like, "Bro, like, mm -mm. so I'd save up my allowance and like basically once a month I'd have enough money out of allowance to like pull the trigger for a weekend and I play Resident Evil again. So anyway, fast forward, fast forward until uh, PCs became more common space, and I was able to. We got a little shitty HP or not HP. Um, I think it was an IBM or something we had in the house. And uh, started getting a few games on that, uh, Wolfenstein, Doom, things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I started falling in love with PC gaming and learning how to make PCs. And so there was a stint in there where I played some stuff on PC, um, Max Payne, and uh, I got really big into Command & Conquer. Um, oh, did I freeze? Oh, there we go. Weird. On my screen, my whole screen just froze. Um, yeah, it... So yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of PC games. I was really into um, RTS games and stuff through that time period. And then, I, like I said, I kind of took a break for a while. And then I met Ronnie, my my career director that works here with me at Gun. Mm -hmm. I met him. We because we, so we were like young, you know, we were in our twenties. And wow. he was like, "Man, you got to come over check this game out." And I'm like, "All right." And he had a PlayStation Two. And uh, that was back when there, if you got official PlayStation magazine, you got a demo disc with it. Yeah, remember that? Yep. Sure do. And he was like, yeah, play this game. He puts a demo disc in and it's uh, Shadow of Colossus. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you just fight one of the Colossi? Col I don't know. You fight one of those dudes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was Close just enough. like, I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, this is the most incredible game I've ever seen. And it like reinvigorated like my love affair with games. And, uh, and yeah, and I just jumped from console for a little while and then back to PC and then, you know, just kind of whatever my mood is. If I feel like popping down on the couch, I might, I might play a, a console game, but I'd say nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm on PC. All right. Yeah. That's uh, I went through phases of that as well. And I, I'm now back to being console first for the most part. Uh, mostly because I want to mm -hmm. play in my living room with my yeah. big TV and, you know, at most surround. So yeah, yeah. And with a controller, and... I want to play with the controller more now as I get older. Sure, it depends on the game for me. Like if, if a game comes out that's um, third person, I'm gonna go console with it, or yeah. at least I can. I'm able to um, connect my PC out to my uh, HD projector, uh, and it's 120 inches. Nice. So <laughs> I can sit and still play with a joystick, like Xbox One controller to my PC that's been, you know, whatever. So I can still nice. get that effect of, uh, you know, 
popping down on the couch and playing, but uh, and still experience full Dolby Atmos and all that kind of stuff, and not have to fire up the Xbox or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, nice. We got a question in the chat saying you play Fortnite. Tell the truth. I've never played one single match of Fortnite. I don't own it. I've never downloaded it. Swear to God, I know nothing about. I mean, I've, I've watched it. <laughs> I've watched hours of it being played, but uh, not, I played PUBG. Uh, there's actually a clip somewhere out there of me playing with Sequisha. Um, but it, it just never grabbed me when I saw it. Um, it's an art style decision for me. Like, mm. uh, there's something about that art style that just turns me off. Um, it's too bright and colorful and happy. Not that I don't like that. Like, I like being happy. I like color, <laughs> excuse me, colorful things, but I need to feel, uh, immersed when I play a game. So when a game chooses an art style like that, it, it does the opposite effect for me and I don't connect with the game. So I'm like, I don't want to play this. All right. That's Just fair. A personal thing. I, I can't handle the building. Like I, I'm not, mm. I'm, I'm not, I'm too old. Well, did you play when they took it out here recently? I did not. I didn't, I should have, but I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the main they thing had, for like, me. Record numbers when they did that, you know, if you saw that on Twitch, but like everybody was like, they took a chunk now and now I'll go play it. And like, everyone was playing the hell out of it. And I'm like, I'm assuming that's now a a mode that will always be in the game because of the numbers they saw, right? Like, come on. It's it's interesting though, right? Like, I'm surprised that they don't make that a permanent mode, and maybe they will. But if if your numbers go up that much on mm-hmm. removing a feature, that which is kind of wild to me because it's the feature that makes it well was well, that's the not feature that was when it started, right? Though, right? Like, it wasn't that at all. And um, but that's another interesting thing about game dev is. Somebody has an idea internally, and you like play test that idea, and next thing you know, like you've completely transformed your entire game to be what we know Fortnite is now. But that's not what it was before. Yeah, it was tower defense, <laughs> and, and it was fun. Like that that version yeah. of the game was fun back in the early alpha and beta. So. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. So, what turned your eye toward being involved in game development? Well, like growing up, I had, I didn't know anybody that made games. Like I didn't even know how to, to go about that. Right. So yeah, me neither. I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, yeah. but I started with, um, when I was in college at UK, I met a, a teacher there who on the side ran a little tiny.com that was dedicated to game reviews. Oh, and I was just telling him about that, how much I love playing video games. And he was like, well, and he was, he was asking me about some game. I forgot what had come out. And I was like, man, I don't have any money. You know, I can't, I can't buy it. I was, you know, broke college student. I got, I got to save up. And he's like, well, if you, <clears throat> if you want to come write for my website, you get free games. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, uh, you play a game and you write a review. And then, you know, you get to keep the game. And I'm like, word? Sold. <laughs> like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. What do I do? And he's like, all right, well, here's your first game. He's like, what do you? What consoles do you have? I'm like, I don't have any right now. Like, I'm a PC gamer. He's like, oh, okay. Then you can, you know, primarily focus on PC games. I'm sitting there thinking, like, dope. Like, it'd be a new Command and Conquer, maybe. Or, nope. It's a chess game, he hands me. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I don't even, I don't know how to play chess. And he's like, you're about to learn. And I'm like, you know, and so I had to go home and it was like a kid's chess game <laughs> where you're like, it's like there's little mice running around. There's like cheese on the board and stuff. It, that was the lamest game. But if they're teaching you how to play chess, like if you were like eight, nine, ten years old, like banger. Like it was perfect. So I wrote my review and I gave it to him. He was like, cool, man. All right, you're on the team. Welcome to 
welcome to the team. I'm like, all right. And there was, I don't know, maybe 10 other guys all about my age. And that's how, when I met Ronnie, because he was there too, right? Writing for, for this website. How old were you? And roughly? 22 or three. Okay. Something like that. Um, and like that first year of being there within the first year of being there, E3 came, came to be, they're like, you know, because we write for this, you get a free ticket into E3, but you have to get yourself there and pay for your hotel, you know, <laughs> cause we don't have a, that website didn't have a budget. And I was like, uh, okay. And so like, I worked at that time at a movie theater. And so I saved literally everything I had and uh, sold an old guitar on eBay. Like I did everything to get the money together and put myself, you know, get myself to E3, bought a plane ticket and flew out to E3. That was like E3 04, I think. And um, yeah, I I was like, I'm hooked. Like walking into the E3 show floor and seeing that whole world, I was like, wow, like this is, I want to do something like this. <laughs> and so writing reviews then led to writing mock reviews. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever done that? Huh. So all the big studios, um, it's kind of a, it's not necessarily a dark secret. Oh, like some oh people, I know what you're talking about. Some people know this. Yeah, yeah. When they're building a game of, you know, whatever stage the game is in from, you know, full production, like an alpha, maybe a beta, maybe they're close to launch, whatever. They hire reviewers to play the game in its current state and then write a review as if it were done and give it a score of Metacritic. That's back when Metacritic mattered, you know, <laughs> and, and they pay you for that. Like they pay you for your time. And sometimes they fly you to the studio and you play the game because they don't trust, you know, sending you a build. That yeah. was predominantly what we did was fly out to studios. And then once it's like it's for EA, for example, like we did a bunch of stuff with them, like, you know, Redwood Shores, the EA Studios, like they're making several games at a time there. So as soon as they find out, like, oh, their mock reviewers coming here, like they, you'll get. We end up booking like four games at a time. Like you think you're going out there to just play one, and they're like, nah, you need. We need you to do four of these. And so, a bunch of us would go out there and play these games, and then tell them what's right, what's wrong, basically with the game. And so we did. I did that for like five years. Um, you know, worked on a lot of. Uh, I did a lot of consulting work on that because that led from more mock reviews to more like literally sitting in a room across from the creative director of the game and playing the game and giving your like real time. You're not really necessarily writing anything down. You're just like conversing because they, they may have like one little thing in the game, one feature in the game. And maybe there's a, there's a, a fork in the road in the development and like half the team wants to do this thing with the feature mm -hmm. and the other half wants to do this other thing. And they want an outside opinion because when you're that close to your own product, you sometimes miss, you know, you don't see it. Yeah. So they would bring us in and we would play it and say, that thing sucks or this is promising or whatever. And, uh, and yeah, so we did that. And, uh, and I learned so much about game data doing that because when you're setting across from, I mean, I guess it would be sort of like, you don't know how to cook and you're invited to stand next to the chef, you know? Yeah, and, and and eat their food and talk to them about the food. You know, it's like that. You you start picking up little things where you're like, oh, that's how you do that. That's how you actually cut a carrot or whatever, right? Like, it's kind of like that. Um, and so I just became like a sponge during that time and learned as much as I could, and kept surrounding myself with people that were way better at um, 
that type of work than I was, where they can they can play a game for maybe 30 minutes and grasp more from the game than I could if I'd played it for like six or seven hours. Um, there was, they were just better at that. And so there was a lot of me like watching and learning and trying to pick up as much as I could during those, those sessions or whatever. Yeah. And then that, that's what just sort of naturally led to me to me saying like, okay, I've got this knowledge base. I think I know what I'm doing. At least I know enough that I feel comfortable tackling maybe like a small mobile game. And so we raised a little bit of money here locally in Kentucky and from investors. And uh, yeah, I went out and found people that were talented and smart and said, help me make this game. And we made a little <laughs> game called Bridge and Clear, which launched on uh, iOS in, gosh, it's around 2010. Okay. See, now I'm curious if we, if we ran into each other, because I was at Redwood Shores for four years from 04 to 08. Yeah, dude. So I we, wonder if we've we, been there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. I worked on both Godfather games and the Simpsons oh, yeah. game while I was there. So we were also, you remember what EA had their little EA partners? Mm -hmm. Remember that was a thing? Yep. And they were doing all these little smaller, like indie things. Yeah. We kept getting pulled into those. Okay. And then we did some like NHL games and some EA sports stuff. Um, but that's what, that's what, it's the well they keep came. We kept coming back to, it was like, Oh, another EA partner game. And they're like, yeah, it's no one of our little downloadable things. We're like, Oh, okay. And we would go in and play those little smaller, you know, smaller titles. But, uh, but we worked on a couple big, couple big boys there. And then uh, Ubisoft and a lot of work from Bethesda. Interesting. So when you, when you decided to do something and you know, it, what ended up being breach and clear, what kind of guided your, your, your focus to doing that? Like, why did you pick mobile? You know, like what was, you know, what was kind of your thought process overall? Um, while we were doing the consulting work with studios, um, I, I was messing around with this virtual world that was called second life. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly just like something to do when I, like at night, I would log in and be like, this is weird. I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> and I'd walk around and meet these people and like the majority of people in there were like devs, like they could build stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. Like it's just this giant world where if you know how to code, you can make the world. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. And so I was like getting very inquisitive about the whole thing and asking a lot of questions and uh stumbled on like where how do you get clothes for your little avatar and they're like oh you go to these, these stores and you go down to these stores and it was all kind of generic stuff i'm like where's the, where are the brand stuff and they're like oh there's no brands in here and i'm like why and they're like well i don't know so i was like all right well i had a friend of a friend that knew somebody american apparel the clothing manufacturer in los angeles so via some email introductions i ended up meeting the chief marketing officer for american apparel and i'm like hey there's this thing I, you know, if I can fly out and show it to you, like, I think you're be interested in it. He's like, okay. And I scheduled it at the same time at E3 because I knew I was going to be out there covering games and doing whatever. So I fly out to LA and um, walk into American Apparel with a little shitty laptop. <laughs> and I sit down, boot the game up, and I show them how it works. And I talk them all through it. And I'm like, we should build a store in here where you can buy stuff. But since it's all online, like, you could click a product in the virtual world and you could either buy it in the game, but if you right click it, you could buy it in real life. Like you could just launch a web page for the exact same shirt. You could buy it for your avatar or yourself. And they're like, 
that's the coolest shit I've ever seen. I was like, yeah, it's pretty rad. And they're like, let's do it. How much? And I'm like, uh, I had no idea. <laughs> and and I, they saw me sort of like deer in the headlights. I was like, uh, um, uh, and they just like threw out a number. They're like, well, what if we did it for this? And it was like more money than I could even fathom, right? As a, as a 20 something, you know, and I was like, that sounds like that would work. And they're like, cool, <laughs> that's what we're doing. And I'm like, okay. So then I had to figure out how to build it. And so I found some people in game that knew how to like, one person knew how to build buildings um, and they knew how to do, you know, like hard, hard face textures, stuff like that. Another person was like more of a soft, like soft texture, knew how to make clothing and knew how to do rigging properly so when it fit on it. So I started learning like that side too of game dev and we built this store in Second Life and a ton of people walked through it and it put us put me on uh, the cover of Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I was interviewed by yeah, I was interviewed by Forbes and Inc. and Fast Company and like all these major publications were like, bruh, like this is the coolest shit we've ever seen. I'm like a, <laughs> at this point, I'm a senior in college. And I'm like, um and I'm like getting phone calls like while I'm sitting trying to learn like you know, Spanish three or whatever class I was in. And then they're, it's like, hi, this is so-and-so from uh, Inc. Magazine. I'm going to interview about this thing. I'm like standing out in the hallway of like my class, wow. being in class. I'd excuse myself from class to like do these interviews. I was like, maybe school's not for me. <laughs> like, maybe this is the thing I, re- I should be doing instead. And much to my dad's chagrin, I was like, dad, I dropped out of college. He was like, you have one more semester. Like, you have one class. That's it. Like, you have one class to graduate. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, just just get the degree. And I'm like, Dad, like this thing's taking off. Like I don't I don't think I should do it. Uh so yeah, I did and I didn't graduate college. I need one more semester of Spanish and I'll be a college graduate. But anyway. Still to this com- day. My company yeah, to still this day. Nice. So my company took off <laughs> and um so that's that's where the consulting sort of stuff like sometimes I would get calls from like Procter and Gamble and they're like, We want to fly you up to meet with all these brands that represent anything from deodorant down to like uh, uh, Klondike ice cream bars, because they all own all that stuff. And I'd walk into a meeting, there'd be like 40 people in a room, and they're, they're like, how do we talk to gamers? <laughs> and I'd have to like give them a crash course on like video games and how they work and like how do you talk to them, all that kind of stuff. So I, there was a mixture between sometimes I was doing that on a Thursday or something, and I'd fly back in town and spend like two or three days at home and get back on a plane and fly to... Ubisoft to do like Splinter Cell Conviction, like play that for the first time or whatever. So it was like this, I was kind of getting pulled in all these different directions. But anyway, um, that's when I was like, hey, I, I think I just want to go make a game. Like, I, don't, I don't know if I like this like lifestyle of bouncing around all these different locations and, and doing all this uh, consulting work. I want to make a product now. I want to make something that I believe in and, you know, can stand back and say like, yeah, dude, that, I did that. You know, like that felt better than telling someone else make make this thing better you know and mm. watch them go do that and then see the game come out and go i remember this level of this game and it sucked and i told them they should have done this instead of that and they did it <laughs> like that's kind of cool but it's not the same thing as like this whole thing came out of my brain you know this whole i pulled something out of the ether and made it real and tangible and people enjoy it like that's to me felt like that would be a lot cooler to do yeah so, so yeah that's that's and so why i went to mobile was because Sorry to uh, kind of a longer story. Long no, there, you're but good. When I did that thing and got all that press, the next person that called me was um, Ford Motor Company. And they were like, hey, uh, we saw what you did, the Second Life thing with American Pro. was really cool. What's going to be the next thing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm reading about this thing called an iPhone. I don't know much about it, but I think this shit's going to be dope. 
And they're like, cool, let's get Apple on the phone. I'm like, uh, like the Apple? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so it was like me, Ford, and Apple all on the phone. And we're like, we heard there's a phone. And they're like, yeah, there's going to be a phone. There's going to be an app store. There's going to be apps you can make. And we're like on the phone, like, yeah, this is a dope. This is so cool. And they're like, we'll send you the SDK, the software developer kit, and you can start poking around and figuring it out. So Ford's like, cool, what should we do, Wes? And I'm like, I don't know, uh, what car do you want this to be about? And they're like, well, we're, we made the, the America's first crossover vehicle. I'm like, what's a crossover? You know, they're like, oh, it's like a, it's kind of like an SUV, but it's not. It's kind of like a car or sedan. It's called the Ford Flex. And I was like, okay. So they sent me pictures of it and like this kind of brand book. And it's just, it's, the book is ridiculous because it's like, <laughs> I, have you ever read anything like this where, like you open one page and it's like, if, if, if his car were a person, it would, <laughs> it would be this person. And it was yeah. like a picture of Anthony Bourdain. I'm like, what is this? It's like, if this brand were a color. This brand were a song. It's like that. It's like this kind of world book mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that brands create. It's so pretentious and you're just like, give me a break. But what I stuck on was like their target demographic was like kind of younger people. Kind of, um, I don't know. I think the term they kept using it was like, hip urban young like this kind of thing and i'm like all right um well whenever i was looking at the sdk and i saw that the phone was going to have a three megapixel camera on it i was like dude you take pictures with your phone because i've never seen that before like i didn't know i haven't seen that with three megapixel and like a quality that looked pretty good touch screens and stuff i was like Dude, what if you could take a picture of somebody but then like have sort of like a little light version of photoshop where you could like fix some stuff and Ford was like, that's what we want. And I was like, okay. And so here in the Lexington, Kentucky, like me and this other developer, Nick, uh, Nick Warner and I sat down. It built this little app that was like a photo app um, long before all that other filters and all the Instagrams and all the other stuff that's been out there. We built the first vehicle app, like automobile, and the first photo app. Uh, it was for Ford Flex. What? And... Um, <laughs> They came out in the app store like pretty much like two weeks after the app store launched. And uh, yeah, so I, I got to know mobile. Like I got to kind of understand it and how it works. So here I had this like some knowledge of game dev and like understanding how games get made. A pretty thorough knowledge of like the iPhone and iOS and like looking under the hood and understanding that. And I was like, let's take those two things and put them together. Because I could probably raise a little bit of money because it doesn't cost a whole lot to make an iPhone game compared to making like a console game. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I raised like a million bucks here locally. And, um, and, and the game that kept resonating in my head, I was like, why do they, why did they change Rainbow Six? I loved Rainbow Six. Don't get me wrong. Rainbow Six Vegas and Vegas 2. I don't know how many hours I have in that game on PC. I love it though. I played the absolute shit out of it. But I kept saying to myself, why isn't this like the old Rainbow Six? like Rogue Spear and like those those Rainbow Six where you plan, you know, where right. you see a top-down view of the map and you can pick where the, your team is going to go. And you can have up to like three or four teams of four and you can just either simulate it, like set them all up, tell them like walk to this corner, throw a flashbang, wait three seconds, then go in. Like you can set all that up and then hit play and watch your plan. I was like, why does that not exist anymore? And everybody I talked to was like, oh, because players don't want that anymore. You know, even Mm. Ubisoft, even, you know, Red Storm that we went to and hung out with, they're like, yeah, it's like people want stuff that's like faster. They want now, now, now kind of stuff. And I'm like, 
I don't know. I, I still want it. <laughs> and I thought what made the most sense was on an iPad or an iPhone, like being able to touch yeah. and like playing, playing the route of your dudes, like kind of clicked for me. It was like, that makes sense. You know, if I can drag a line and say like, the dude's going to walk on this line. And if you long hold, it drops a little node on the line. And then you can like move the vision cone, like drop a vision cone on the line. So now when the guy walks and hits that note, he looks left. Nice. You know? Yeah. And so it became this like idea of a room clearing simulator. You know, there's bad guys in this room. Maybe they're taking a hostage or whatever it is, right? And you're this team of special forces and you can do all your loadout, pick all your guns, do all this kind of cool upgrades and stuff to your little team. And then the match begins and you're standing outside the building and you have to infiltrate and move through and clear the whole building out but instead of being turn-based like people are used to seeing it was like a simul turn so it's like when it's when you whenever after you plan your route and hit go everything then turns to real time so your dudes are now walking real time the enemy is reacting to you in real time and a shootout occurs so you have to really plan accordingly as to where you want your guys to go where do they stop where do they grab cover where do they look so it's sort of XCOM, but where XCOM is like a true turn-based with some reactions you know like sometimes if you're in overwatch you get shots and things like that this was not that this was like if you took XCOM and said yeah but as soon as they take a step into the, the enemy's going to react to you and start shooting at you and it was that was an interesting mechanic i hadn't seen before so uh yeah so we made breach and clear i i teamed with robert bowling because he had just left infinity ward yeah uh robert bowling was uh one of the on the creative team that took them from a world war ii shooter to uh what most people know modern warfare um he was also integral in putting rpg elements into a shooter no one had done that before um he was a big rpg fan played a shitload of rpg uh with all the metagame and stuff that you find in rpg games um he he talked infinity ward you know back when it was like vince and all the like rock stars of infinity ward he talked all them into take the world war ii thing make it modern but put this art like put put this type of of thing like that felt more deeper in unlocks like make me earn the things i unlocked mm. you know make it feel more like rpg elements and uh and they did it and that's why you have modern warfare was such a success is because it was both modern guns and stuff but you had the perk system and all the things that you unlock. Because if you recall, Call of Duty 1, 2, 3, that wasn't really a thing. Yeah. You know? But, but you didn't have unlocks like that. You unlock new gadgets for your gun and get perk systems and apply them to your dude. And you're like, now I have scavenger. I can pick up bullets off dead bodies. Like, that wasn't a thing. So Robert Bowling did that. So he had just left Infinity Ward. He's a Kentucky boy. So it wasn't <laughs> hard to connect with him and say, hey, let's make this game together. And Randy Greenback had just finished um uh, ghost refund and he was on the team even back when it was rainbow six rogue spear and he did vegas vegas 2 and they got moved over to ghost recon he had just left he actually used to work at insomniac as well yeah oh. um and so that, here's two these two guys that really know what they're talking about they really know what they're doing they know how to make shooters they know how to make military things and i so i brought them in i'm like help me because i'm an idiot you know and we all sat down in a conference room and <laughs> I don't know, in two weeks, knocked out the full design of, of Breach and Clear. And then I found a little studio named Mighty Rabbit out of uh, Cary, North Carolina, which is outside of Raleigh. Mm -hmm. And we made that game for, for Donuts. And 
launched it in the App Store, and it, it did pretty well. Pretty nice. well that it caught the attention of Devolver Digital. And they're like, hey, you want to make a sequel? And I'm like, ah, maybe. And they're like, what if you do? What, what would you want to do with it? And I was like, man, I kind of make a horror game. And they're like, what if you turned Breach and Clear into a horror game? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And so it started going in this direction, and I was like, I don't know. And so the, the studio of Mighty Rabbit was like, we want to make this game. We think it'd be cool. And I'm like, okay, you guys go ahead and do that. I'm going to start writing the design on a game that I want to make. And they're like, what do you want to make? And I was like, I love slasher movies. I want to make a slasher game. And they're like, okay. And so they went and made Breach and Clear Deadline, <laughs> which is like, take Breach and Clear and put it in the world of zombies. It wasn't the direction I would have went with it, but it, you know, it did okay. Um, and I sat down and started writing the design doc for uh, Summer Camp, which is what uh, Friday the 13th started out as, was a game called Summer Camp. Interesting. So what, what year are we talking now when you started, you know, starting to tinker with the idea of Friday? 2013. Okay. And there, I'm, I'm really anxious to hear you tell this story because there's so much about it that I don't even know. I've heard, you know, things here mm -hmm. and there. Um, and, you know, I do know, you know, some about it, obviously. But I'm curious. So you started off with... Uh, with just this, this, this summer camp idea, right? So I, I'm, yeah. I'm first of all curious, like how did you develop into that? And then when did it turn into, you know, something bigger? I mean, since I've known Ronnie, he and I always sat and talked about why isn't there a Friday 13th game? I mean, we're going back to 2002, 2003. And we kept coming to the conclusion that, uh, of course there was the NES game, um, but we're like, but why is there not a game where you get to be Jason? Like, why is that not a thing? Mm. And we can't come back to, well, it's probably because like multiplayer is not quite where it needs to be. Home uh, internet speeds aren't quite where, the, where, they needs to, where it needs to be. Um, shooters, there are more arena-based, so it's a little easier to pull that off in terms of um, multiplayer online. But a big giant campground doesn't work well if you don't have high-speed internet. Mm. And so it was always just kind of like, that's probably why it doesn't exist. Um, and it just became a thing that it was like one of those like water cooler sort of discussions or like over lunch discussions when we we're doing the normal things we were doing from consulting work to whatever we were doing. We always come back to talking about, man, if there was a slasher game and it just continued to be a discussion always. So whenever I got serious about it, it was like, bro, we're going to sit down and we're going to bang out a design doc for a slasher game and just see what happens. It was easy, air quote, it was easy to write that because we kind of already had the discussion for years, you know? And so we wrote that design for summer camp and started talking to investors and seeing who would give us some money. And we raised some, not a lot, but some, enough that we could start testing the idea, maybe get towards a prototype. Mm -hmm. And so my next step was, who's going to build this thing? Mm-hmm. And I got introduced to the president of Turtle Rock Studios. And Turtle Rock, it was in the throes of making a game called Evolve. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was asymmetric. And our design was too. And there weren't many games, period, to point to that were asymmetric multiplayer. I mean, there's Left 4 Dead, which is asymmetric, but that's not what the game was intended to be. It was a single-player game. The, the levels are laid out in a very linear single-player way. Yeah but it, it still worked for asymmetrical gameplay. 
and then you go all, all the way back to do you remember spies versus mercs on um splinter cell games oh yeah there's yeah, a, yeah. Game, yep. a game mode that's yep. asymmetric um alien versus predator um there was some asymmetric in that or colonial the colonial versus colonial marines versus aliens was like asymmetric but not a ton of games to point at if you go all the way back to like the dawn of multiplayer games most of them are symmetrical to any in chat that don't know what i'm talking about call of duty is a symmetrical game you have a gun i have a gun our goals are identical right shoot each other that's symmetric gameplay even asymmetric field. right asymmetric means uh what i can do is not what you can do the the, the playing field is not level on purpose some person can do something that you can't and you put them head to head. And in this case, what it ultimately became Friday the 13th, it's Jason can do things counselors can't and so on and so forth, you get the idea. So anyway, we had this design for summer camp, which was just gonna be a generic killer in the woods is trying to kill teens, right? Like that's basically it. Um, and there wasn't, from the core design, there wasn't a big jump whenever we moved from summer camp to it's actually going to be Friday the 13th, you know, there was other big, there was other changes that had to happen, obviously. Um, but the core design of it was kind of the same. So how did, how did Friday become a part of the conversation? Like, was it, you were, so were you looking for the that Turtle, to happen? The president of Turtle Rock, uh, I met with him and it's like, how do I make this game? First of all, mm. and he's kind of laughed and was like, you know, carefully or whatever. <laughs> Um, it's like balance is always going to be a thing. I'm like, can your team help me? He's like, nah, we're, we're booked solid with evolve. That's yeah. all we're doing. I'm like, I get it. I was like, who would you trust? And he was like, well, we've had a firefighting team that's been helping us uh, fix some bugs and stuff on evolve. I think they're a strong team. Um, they're still a bit young, but they're hungry and they know what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, who's that? And like, you'll find it. I'm like, all right, set up a meeting if you don't mind. So he did. So I flew out to Denver, Colorado and met Chuck, the CEO, and we brought our design and we said, here's the game we want to make. What do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, like this sounds rad. We, and, and then they started bouncing like ideas too. That was kind of jiving. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they get it, like they get it. So I'm like, well, let's, let's race to make a beauty corner, like a prototype beauty corner so that we can see if people even want this, right? Because it's still, at this point, there's nothing on the market like it. And so off to the races we go. I don't know, nine months of building sort of a beauty corner, testing a few ideas out. Like we had a generic killer. We had one person, try to, the one player model that could run from them. And it was like a generic cabin. There was nothing else. Like you just ran. It was like a game of tag, right? But it was already fun. Like we could already see where the fun was. And we released some pictures and we released a little cheesy trailer that was like felt like an 80 slasher uh trailer and to announce that we were making a game called summer camp i'd say i don't know three weeks after we, we released that trailer ign covered it that's an important piece of this mm. ign covered the story so like three weeks later I, I get an email from someone saying that they represent friday the 13th and honestly i thought i was getting trolled so <laughs> I, I deleted the email. <laughs> Swear to God. And so I just kept working on the game. And I thought it was a friend or somebody trolling me, so I fucking deleted it and moved on. I don't know, a month goes by and the same person emails me again. I was like, hey, um, I emailed you, didn't hear from you. Does it mean you don't, you're not interested in this? So I was like, 
this is this guy's playing the long game on a troll you know <laughs> so i'm like all right fine i'll play your game so i wrote back and i'm like um sean cunningham is from my from what i can tell the owner of friday 13th i don't know who you are and he responds with cc'ing sean cunningham sean i'd like to introduce you to west Keltner. and i was like Oh shit! And Sean chimes in. and was like, "Hey, Wes, want to hop on a call?" And I'm like, "Okay." And we rescheduled a call for the next day. And sure enough, Sean kind of hands on the phone with me, and I'm like, "What's up?" And they're like, "Hey, we saw your thing for summer camp. We think it's pretty cool." And I'm like, "Thanks." And here I'm thinking, "I'm good. I'm, I, this is litigation. I'm about to get sued." Shut you down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Like I danced too close to the fire. Like this is it, you know. Because we, in a cheeky way, one of our little concept art pieces that we released to IGN, if you look in the bottom right corner, there's a little camp sign mm. for, for what the campground is called. And it was called Forest Green. And Forest Green was what they renamed Crystal Lake in part six. Ah. And I was like, that's the one. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I should not have done that. I'm about to get sued for this. <laughs> but the conversation went in a completely different direction. And they're like, hey, what do you think about maybe um, not making summer camp and instead making a Friday the 13th game? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yes, you know. I mean, I'm what's literally the like <laughs> jumping up and down in my room because this was like, there was no Zoom call. I'm like literally on my phone. I'm like, you know, just so excited about it. <laughs> And they're like, cool, well, let's, uh, and of course, you know, it takes months to negotiate and figure out all the contract and the paperwork and all that kind of stuff. But uh, that was, that was a wild day that I got to walk into Ronnie's office and be like, um, we just secured rights to make Friday the 13th. And he's like, get the fuck out. You know, like he's like totally <laughs> over the moon. Um, so yeah, it was a wild, that was a wild ride there for a little while. And then we had to go silent. We couldn't tell anybody. And it was six months that we couldn't tell anybody about the transition because we wanted them to, to make Jason, like get him in there and, and right. Because we already had Kane Hodder because he was going to, I talked to him about making summer camp. Um, I already had Tom Savini. I already had Harry Manfredini. So I had these three people associated with Friday 13th, but they were willing to make summer camp with me. Right. Because they all met with us and they were like, these dudes, like they know slashers, like they know what they're doing. I want to work with you. Nice. Um, so we had the pieces already. So it was like we had the band back together. We're just missing a lead singer, right? And and that was the license. So <laughs> it was kind of a no-brainer for them to call us and want to do it anyway. But we were pretty excited about it. So we'd already had, you know, some already booked the mocap for Kane. And I had to call Kane and be like, guess what? You get to be Jason again. And I mean, dude was nearly in tears how happy he was to don the mask again right oh, because it was take, it was taken from him for freddie versus jason like they gave it to some other guy and he i don't think ever got over that um because yeah. in my book like uh, that's jason it's kane hotter so that was a surreal thing is to book a, the mocap studio walk in i've met kane several times we've had dinner talking about summer camp but this is different right like it's walking into the mocap studio no one knows this it's just just we know it that he's going to be Jason again. And he walked in with his part seven mask that he wore in the movie. And he walks in and he's standing there in the middle of mocap with all these stupid balls all over him, right? <laughs> you know, for the mocap stuff. <laughs> and I'm standing there and we got cameras on. There's 190 infrared cameras in the room that like record his movements, right? And there's a screen, two screens that are sitting in front of me. And one of them is 
the real-time camera feed of him, and the other one is the 3D model we had just created like two weeks before of part seven, Jason. And when he moves, you can see it in real time. The 3D rig moves, right? That's so I awesome. can see, so I know what's happening. Uh, I can see it. I can see the action in real time. And you, whenever you put the stunt person in, that's going to be the counselor. They have all their balls on. We had that model too. So there's a Jason, there's a counselor, and I can see him real time on the screen. And no one knows about this. And it's just us and the mocap people in the room. And he pull, you know, he opens his duffel bag, pulls out this part seven mask. And he's just got it sitting on top of his head like this. And um, we get into one where like, okay, um, mocap ready, and you hear ready, I go motion, and motion means boom, all the all the, the cameras are now spinning and recording yeah. on all angles. T pose and everyone boom, T poses out. Actors ready, action. And then when he when I yell action, he throws this mask down. And his whole everything changed because Kane's a big cut. He's a big cut up. He's a goofball, like big teddy bear, sweet, sweet man. Uh, he's a big goofball, likes to crack jokes all the time. So he's up there like cracking jokes. You know, we're like T-pose. He's like, I got your T-pose right here, baby. You know, just like really being goofy, you know. And then when I go action and he drops that mask, it, I, can't, I can't tell you what that what happened in that room. It's It was fucking insane. Like he... He was Jason immediately, even with his stupid outfit on, even with these little balls on him, his whole body language was Jason. Just, I saw, I, I, I've seen it on film, but you, to see the transformation in real time, it doesn't sound like it's much. It sounds, when you tell people like, Kane was the best Jason, when they're like, it's Jason Boy, he's this guy walking around, it's a guy killing. It's like, sure, it is all it is, you're right. But it's, when you see it in, with your own eyes in front of someone and you're, you're controlling, the killer you're standing in front of them and you know you're yelling at them to get the to get the kill that you want to get the grab that you want to get the performance that you know is in them and that you want to be shown in the game yeah um it's surreal dude from the, the little dude in kentucky that <laughs> right I, I, that doesn't have a college degree and i'm directing kane potter telling him like you know, stab harder, you know, or whatever. Man. Uh, but to see that moment when he threw that mask on and become Jason was, uh, I'll never forget it. It's etching my memory like forever as like, that's the coolest shit I've probably ever done. Like, ever. That's uh, uh, being, a, being a part of that. That is super cool. Like, not, not only, even on top of all that, being like a lifelong fan as well, right? And just like, how did you not cry for real? Like, that would be a really yeah. emotional moment, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was very, because also like in the direction, when you're directing mocap, it's very go, 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 time mm -hmm. is money, get the shot you need, move to the next shot, because you got a shot list that's like pages and pages, right? Yeah. Every animation in the game, you got to mocap it. Um, and so it's like, you got a pretty thick, thick schedule, you got to get to the thing. But that first time, uh, yeah, I got, I felt the feels, no doubt about it. <laughs> sure that you did. Ain't no doubt Man. about it. And then to leave that on that high of like, God, that was so fucking cool. Guess what? You can't tell anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just yours. It's your moment. You got it. You had it. And now don't say anything to anybody. Can't even tell me you're working on the game. Couldn't tell me. I didn't even tell my parents. Oh, man. I'm just like, yep, we're making a game called Summer Camp. And then finally, when we got all the Kickstarter stuff put together, because we knew we needed more money. Like, mm -hmm. that was, we had to have more money. It's Friday 13th. Like, Summer camp was going to be like a, I don't know, $3 million 
game or something. Right. You know, we need way more than that to make a to make a Friday thirteenth game. So we put the Kickstarter together and so we had to keep quiet until it was time to launch all that. So it was like simultaneously like guess what? Summer camp's actually Friday thirteenth. Jason's back. Kane is playing Jason. Here's Ooh. our Kickstarter. And it was just Man. like oh. and we had to shoot all those videos. We went to Sean Cunningham was nice enough to open up his home and let us into his house and shoot wow. all of our, our Kickstarter videos. Um, got all the talent there, got everybody there, Tom Finney, everybody was there. And we shot all those videos there at his house and then had to sit and edit them for, you know, two months and get everything ready to and prime the pump to drop it all at once and get everybody excited to maximize. Because when we met with other people who had done Kickstarters, they're like, hype is everything. Yeah. Like, you got to hit as hard as you can possibly punch. Like, swing hard. And I was like, well, we set on, the, we set on this news that we're Friday 13th. And we got to drop all of this at once. And we did. And it was successful. Like, we raised, you know, pretty pretty good chunk of change. And... Off to the races. What um made, made made the game? What made you decide to go the Kickstarter route to begin with? I mean, I, I, obviously, great idea, and the stuff you had for it in the announcement totally makes we sense. Couldn't raise, we couldn't raise enough. Like investors weren't. We couldn't raise enough money. Okay. All right. Interesting. Was that because they I didn't, didn't know didn't about Friday? The, I didn't have the network of investors like I have today. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't know enough people, and so the people that I would call and be like, "Hey." Remember the summer camp thing? It's now going to be Friday thirteenth. I need a lot more money. Can you help me? And they're like, "No." Mm. I'm like, "Okay." Do you know anybody else that would invest? And they're like, mm -mm. "In video games, nah, it's pretty risky." I'm like, "Okay." So it was like every door I went through, it was like, "No." And so then we went to publishers and we met with everybody. EA, I mean, literally every publisher that we could get a meeting with, out fifteen or twenty, uh, and all of them said pretty much the same thing. Um, Games based on film IP don't sell. <laughs> that was like the number one thing I heard. Uh, number two was player. The, the public doesn't want horror multiplayer. Wow. And then number three was we're looking for smaller, um, smaller, more artistically driven games. And I was like, what do you mean by that? They're like, kind of like Firewatch. I'm like, huh. what? Like, well, Firewatch existed. It, it was a game. Like, why do you want to make another one? They're like, well, it didn't take much to make it, and it was super successful. And they're like, <laughs> good lord, you know? Only they're, looking at ROI at that point, right? Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was frustrating to get the door slammed from the investor side, to get the door slammed on you from the publisher side. Everybody basically telling you no, and you're hearing a whole lot of, like, people don't want this game. And so you go back and you're sitting around with your team and you have to be the voice that goes, fuck them. They do want this. I know they want this. I want this game. And everybody in the room that, that was building the game was like, me too. I want this game too. And it's like, well, we can't be the only ones. Right. right. It can't be true. You know, there's gotta be other people that want it. And if we can't get money from investors, cause they're too scared that it's too risky and publishers are saying no, because nobody wants this game. Like, the only logical step is go to Kickstarter. And if, if we do a Kickstarter and we don't raise enough money, then I guess people don't want the game. Yeah. You know, but we crushed it. We killed it. We actually set a, a, a Guinness world record. Did you really? Um, yeah. That's awesome. You don't have to buy those. And that's some bullshit. What? <laughs> yeah. They call me. They're like, dude, you want a Guinness world record. I'm like, get the fuck out. I used to read that as a kid. Cool. Well, here's my mailing address. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, it's like 300 bucks. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you have to buy the, 
the award. And I'm like, fucking kick rocks, dude. I, I ain't buying an award. Like, I don't have any money. I'm putting everything I have in Friday the 13th. I ain't buying the stupid Guinness Book of World Records. Nobody reads that shit anyway. And they were like, all right, see ya. Uh, oh, but we, we, we did. We were in there. The digital version, we're in there. Interesting. So anyway, that's how that, that's how, uh, why we went to Kickstarter. That's a, uh, man, that, I mean, good thing it was a, a available thing at the time, right? Like, and that was pretty yeah. early when, when there wasn't a whole, like, wasn't a ton of Kickstarter stuff, big projects happening right. yet, right? Especially not in video games. Like, we hadn't yeah. seen a lot in video games. So, um, I think that's why we got that Guinness thing because there wasn't a whole lot of other ones. I'm sure there's been a ton of other games that have just completely destroyed the numbers we raised. Um, but at the time, we, we were number one, baby. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so what was what was development like? And you know, obviously, big Kickstarter. Now, did you have to grow your team? Like, what did you do to to kind of move toward you know getting to the ship door? I mean, we didn't grow at Gun. We, it was the same same folks. Mm-hmm. Um, it was four of us. And Elphonic could get a little bigger because we had you know more of a budget, mm-hmm. but still a pretty micro sized team in in the world of game dev. You know, we never got bigger than about thirty total. Uh, that's pretty small, as yeah. you're aware. Uh, to and, and to build a game from scratch, you know, 30 people, that's, that's not a lot of people. Right. For all the moving moving parts. And we were animation heavy, you know. So, you know, you have like two animators, which is unheard of. Oh, wow. For the amount of animations we had, like, that was that was shitty. Yeah, like, that's... <laughs> they, they were working around the clock. Yeah. You know? I bet. So how did how did you focus the development and as far as like what what did you want to see first and like what yeah well, we that knew core? from a, from the from the get go we were like it's going to be fun playing as Jason mm. everybody knows that right like uh, everybody agreed on both sides Idilphonic and Gun like that's automatically fun it's a power trip uh, you know here's what he's he's able to do and at the time we only had like two abilities um, we're like. Put him on the shelf now. What we have to concentrate on is, is being fun as a counselor because everybody's going to go, oh my God, you get to be Jason? That's all I want to do, right? And we were like, no. Yeah. Like we, you have to make counselor gameplay as fun, maybe more fun than being Jason. Well, odds are you're going to be a counselor, right? Exactly. Because yeah. we knew that was the other thing we were designing the lobbies is like, we can't set it where someone can just come in and say, I'm Jason, because we knew that, that the turnover rate in the lobbies would just be insufferable and inseparable. And all you would see is like empty lobbies. So we're like, let's make it like a lotto. And you don't know mm. until the match starts and you're committed, you're in the match and you have to watch the intro and everything. And then, you know, like, oh, shit, it was me or it was you or it was James or whoever the hell it was. Right. I uh, got picked as Jason. But we concentrated in the early stages of uh, it's got to be, we got to make uh, counselor gameplay super, super fun. Yeah. Like that has to be the, and so we spent, I don't know, nine months on counselor gameplay um, in pre-production, full production, testing the absolute piss out of making that fun and going back to the paper design and like shifting and changing and like, they, they need to be able to do this. And then it was like, Hey, what if they could do that? And so on and so forth. Um, yeah, but we knew from the start, like, they got to have vehicles. Um, we didn't know, we didn't know what, uh, we didn't have, like, gas and 
battery and that kind of thing. We mm -hmm. did have you have to find the keys though. But people were in early tests where they could they could get the keys early, jump in the car, start, take off. And we were like, you need a little bit more time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because Jason is the dispersal agent, right? When he shows up, people like scatter like roaches when you turn a light on, right? Yeah. Uh, but but people come back, they kind of scamper back to the to the objective. And so we knew Jason would be sort of patrolling the objective. So if you could really quickly find the keys, get in the car and take off, you just remove one of the objectives. You removed a choke point. You removed the party because that's yeah. what happens around the car, right? Um, and so once we could see that, then that became like the genesis for we need more party spots, mm. you know? And there was the boat. And then it was, you know, the other pieces that from fixing the, the fuse, the phone, and uh, how the escapes volumes work, you know, that cops get called to a certain area, to, but you don't know where the area is. You have to, you know, wait for it to happen and you got to run to it. And Jason, again, can show up and be uh, a nuisance in that area. Um, it was simple design. Um, there was nothing about it that was complex. There was nothing about it that was like reinventing the wheel, you know? Yeah. It's not a complex design of the game we weren't brilliant we're not geniuses i don't know about but that what we were what we what i can say we did was the simplicity of it i think matt on my team before he started like he he, he wasn't with us when we when Friday 13 uh, first launched he was working elsewhere at ubisoft and he and he was a fan he was a backer everything like um and he said for him, he was like, that game became grilled cheese sandwiches for me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, a grilled cheese sandwich. He's like, it ain't a steak. It's not a, it's not a, a, an amazing meal. He goes, but every time I've ever had a grilled cheese sandwich, uh, I'm, it, it's comfort. It's mm. satiating. It's warm. It's salty. It's creamy. It makes me feel at home. It makes me feel at ease. I feel comfortable. And he's like, that's what Friday 13th was for me. And I was like, that's a really good analogy. Because there isn't anything... There isn't any frills, so to speak, with Friday. It's got its warts. It's got its problems. It's got bugs. Um, it's rough around the edges. Sometimes it's janky. Um, the car's janky. Some animations aren't as clean as we wanted. There's no starts and stops. Some of the blends in the animations kind of suck. It's, 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 it's adolescent in its production value. And I know all of those things. But I also know... In its simplicity, there's some beauty in it. There's a fun, there's fun in it. There's comfort in it. There's a community that can be built around that kind of simplicity because anyone can figure that game out fast. Mm. But yet some of the objectives, um, they, they, they don't automatically fall in your lap. There's a bit of a tug of war and there's some chase and there's some childlike games that occur in it that when you narrow down that me the mechanics of that to being more childlike in its game from tag to hide and seek, when you get back to that, there's a familiarity that the player base has when they play it. I've seen this. I've played this. I remember these feelings. And you match that to the nostalgia of the power of Friday 13th as an IP. Mm. It's comfortable. It's warm. It's a blanket that, that, that most people rec recognize when they put it on. And then there's a whole other group of player base that's much younger that don't know Friday 13. And this was their first experience. They, they've never seen a movie. Huh, I didn't think about and that. That's a, <laughs> and that's a different experience for them, right? Because when they go watch the movie, they're like, I died right there. You know, when they go pop in the movie part three and they're like, you know, Higgins Haven, I've been there, you know? That's a different experience. 
they don't have that that wide chasm of time that you and I have when we think about Friday Thirteenth, right? Yeah. For us, the rough edges have been smoothed over with the river of time. We don't remember how parts of those movies kind of suck, <laughs> but sometimes the kind of suck is what makes them good, you know? Yeah. So yeah. for them, it's like no, their experience was the game, and that's far more visceral for them. It's more real, and they, I would argue, they become a stronger fan of the series because their first experience was immersive and ours was linear. We were, we were just an audience. We were just watching it happen to other people. It happened to them. They lived it and they lived it in laughter with friends in a community and they made new friends. That's much stronger than you watching it in your basement when you weren't supposed to. It's different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm excited about with Texas Chainsaw because that film is an important film and to other horror heads in the audience in chat, I see them, I see the, the comments and stuff there. I know a lot of these people in here, they know that film too. And they know what it means. And they saw it as a kid and they get to experience that same thing again, that we did with Friday where a whole new group of people are going to come in and go, I've never seen Texas Chainsaw or they saw the most recent one on Netflix or whatever. Uh. But they don't, they don't have a connection to it the way we do, but their connection is going to be different. Their connection will be far more real because they'll live it. Yeah. And then when they go watch the movie, they're going to be like, holy shit, this was exactly like that. This felt and looked and played exactly like the movie. Um, and that's, a, that's cool to be able to touch an IP and deliver it to a new audience um, and introduce it to a new generation in a way that film can't do yeah and that's why i like making games yeah no that's that's awesome i hadn't quite thought about the you know that some people will have never seen the movies before they play these and so i'm curious thinking about texas do you do you have a preference for people if someone asked you should i watch the movie first or, or play the game when it comes out first what would you suggest I would still probably suggest watch the film, yeah, because that film matters. Um, I would, I, I, I might say, you know, wait and watch the other ones later, but the first one, the nineteen seventy four original one, uh, watch it, and yeah, then, and then play the game. But it's not like a prerequisite, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I'd recommend it. All right. So, so back to Friday. Sorry, I, I kind of no. digressed. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Um, I. I am curious about one gameplay thing with Friday. Um, when you were, you know, thinking about this initial design, thinking about how it has to be fun with the the counselors, what overall match time were you thinking about? Or was that what you started with? We didn't know. Um, we had no idea about match time. We, were, we, we organically built a clock around what matches were feeling like during our internal play testing. We knew we couldn't just let the let it go forever. You have to stop players because there would be people that would just go hide under a bed forever. Mm. So there's got to be an endpoint, uh, and so we were, you know, kind of always moving that around a little bit until we settled on a number that that felt right. But so much of design was um, like where the where each cabin was located, the distance between the cabins. Um, was roughly the, if you took the average stamina of an average, I think the most average 
player in our game that kind of was like right down the middle was like I think Kenny Rydell, I think. Had like a he was kind of like a fifty out of a hundred or whatever for like all all abilities. So we we kind of started measuring things against him, where the distance is. So when he takes off running in a dead sprint, out out from a window of a cabin, when his stamina hit zero, that became like he ran out of stamina. That was the general idea. Yes, it's Kenny Fablon. Okay, thank you, Subtire. Appreciate it. But that was about where we would start thinking the next cabin needed to be placed. Mm. So we didn't want it to be like perfect we wanted for player for the be like uh player to mess up burn their stamina too fast we wanted we knew what was special was when jason was like right on you and if you could get away from it if he was like right there and then you dove into a window like that feels really good that near misses are like the magic of multiplayer horror um, you can give someone the slip or feel like I, I, you know, you hear his attack hit the window, whoosh, like right after you dove yeah. through it, you're like, oh my God, like it feels good. Right. Um, and so balancing that, like the stamina pool like that, uh, and, and then stretching that out a little further each time. So like risk versus reward had to become a thing where you're like, I can't make that run. I'm going to run out of stamina before I get there. I know I will, because mm-hmm. I'm playing as this character or that character. And now you're starting to play, put emphasis on certain characters can do certain things. And then you tie that into like the mechanics of like how fast can you put something on a car or how fast can you fix a fuse or so on and so forth. Uh, you start to see more of the like kind of strengths and weaknesses of characters and how that blends into gameplay as a whole, but not so complex that people get lost in what is the game? You know, like whenever I've seen some games that get so deep into that, um, in, the, in the stats and the and the metagame, and you kind of get lost into it as to what's the core of this? Like, where's the yeah. fun? Like, where's the little thing that's like, when, but when you do this, it's fun. It doesn't matter, like, what you're doing. It's just fun, you know, like, and that's what Friday had was when Jason's on you and you're trying to give him the slip, it's fun. And when you're Jason and trying to capture him, it's fun, too. And the, that's when we knew that missing piece was, but, it, man, if you could talk to Jason or Jason can talk to you, like, he's a silent killer always. And so there was a lot of apprehension at first. Like, do we want to do this? But <laughs> then we did the first play test where we finally got, like, true proximity-style chat that fell off from distance. Yeah. And when we heard that for the first time play it, we're like, 100% this has to be in the game. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it added so much to gameplay that we were like, dude, this was the missing piece. Like, we know it now. So we took it to Rooster Teeth and we're like, play this game. And they went fucking bananas. They were the first people outside of Gun or Real Farming to play the game. And they lost their mind. Like They were like, this is the most fun shit we've ever played. And the game was still so super broken. We had like two counselors, one Jason. There was no boat yet, just a car. I mean, the game, game was a broken buggy mess. <laughs> I think they they probably paid, played like 10 matches and only like four of them worked. And, but they were like, this is, I mean, they were so excited, screaming, yelling, hollering, laughing. I was like, dude, we got it. <laughs> yeah. Like, we just got to clean this thing up. We, we got it, though, you know? Because you don't know when you're looking at your own thing. Like, you think it's good, and you're, like, looking at each other, going, this is good, right? And everyone's like, yeah, dude, it's good, it's good. But you still don't really know because you're, you're in the sauce. Yeah. You know, you're making the thing, and you're like, are you saying you think it's good because you don't want to admit that some work you're doing is bad? You know, like, <laughs> you start second-guessing yourself, but... You gotta stick to it. Yeah, man, that's it's. You're right about the whole 
when we're when we're making it, it's really hard to to see it from outside developer view, and especially because a lot of times we're doing the same things over and over and over, and that's really kind of jades that that view of it at times, right? It's hard to step back and be a fan when you're when you're working on something. Yeah, it's true. Very true. So then, as you guys got closer to you know you're finishing it up and you're, you're feeling good about it, what was you know, the last couple of months like, and then, then when the game launched. Well, we had that little beta over Christmas, uh, PC only. Mm. And, you know, there's so much of the game that was kind of from a, you'll know what I mean by this, but from a development standpoint, uh, kind of duct taped. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it works, but under capacity, it doesn't. Um, so servers fill up and things start to break, um, server load as well as like latency mm. starts to show you the cracks in it. And you've seen the software that lets you simulate latency. Yeah. It doesn't work like nope. real, real life latency <laughs> does. You may, you may see a few problems. You're like, Oh, that happens under, Oh, okay. I got it. But what it's not doing is like. There are three people that are like someone's swinging, someone's being grabbed by Jason while someone else is trying to slam a door while in the background someone jumps through a window and all this happens when you have a 90% packet loss. What happens? Like, it doesn't simulate that. Right. Uh, and I'll tell you what happens. The whole game fucking shits itself. <laughs> and, and you're like, how do we fix this? You know, it's like things you don't predict is going to happen that like it, it, under latency, you're like, oh God, you know? And so a lot of that time was coming out of the beta was seeing how people use things and played the game, seeing what people were saying in Twitch chat, like that, that can drive some, some conversations because like player onboarding um, to chat, meaning like tutorial, you know, like how do you, people being like, I don't understand how to play this game. Um, making sure that we, you know, we had that onboarding correct, but a lot of it was how do we fix this issue of latency and otherwise, and we still didn't. We still didn't get it done. Like we still weren't one hundred percent. That we saw that at launch because we like we took the beta numbers, we took pre-order numbers, we took Kickstarter numbers, and I added a zero, and it wasn't even close. Oh wow! To the numbers that hit on day one when we turned the game on and the servers went live. Um, I was off by like another zero. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So we, it just melted like the game. It just, it didn't even work on Xbox. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And some of that was our fault. Some of that was Xbox's fault. I'm not here to cross swords with whatever. Like it just, <laughs> it was just bad situation all around. Uh, bad experience, uh, bad experience for the players. And we, it took us four days to fix that. And I got slept at the office. Um, and we just cooked new builds and tests and cooked new builds and tests over and over and over and over and over and over trying to fix that problem. And finally got it, finally got the solution to it. Had to get a, had to get a Microsoft, uh, senior network person on the phone. Oh, wow. And they're like, they're like, oh, it's this thing. And we're like, cool. How do we fix that? And they're like, like this. And through that joint effort, 
We fixed it and turned the servers back on. Now all of a sudden, hey, everybody on Xbox can play. And then here comes all the mountain of latency problems. You know? So it was just like, <laughs> you put this fire out and you're like, awesome. And you turn around and your whole bedroom's on fire. And you're like, whoa. You know, and so it just, it was that, it was that for like, I don't know, the first three or four months of launch it was just constantly firefighting while also like, we got to make content guys. Like, but we didn't have any money. Like we spent every cent to, to launch that game. Mm. We had nothing, nothing. Like the bank account was zero. Oh, wow. I put everything in it, dude. I bet it all. So the game comes out, people were loving it. It went, it worked. People were loving it. We had no DLC. We had no money for DLC. And I'm like, what do we do? Like, I made a lot of good friends during that time because people that like from streamers to just people as friends would call me and talk to me, DM me, and they're like, bro, you need content. Like, I don't have any money. And they're like, dude, your game is killing it. I'm like, I, don't, I know, but they don't, I haven't been paid. And newsflash to anyone in chat, like, it takes 90 to 120 days to get paid. Yep. So think about that. You launch your game, and you don't see anything for three months, maybe. Usually 90 days, right? That's Yeah, it depends on the platform. Yeah. Depends on who you're talking about. Yeah. You may see a couple dollars here and there come in, but not the big boy money. Not the money you need for DLC. Right. So you're scrambling, right? You're eating ramen. <laughs> you're you're, you're uh, you know, Googling how much do I get for a kidney? You know, it's like, what do I do? Um, but we figured it out and, uh, yeah, finally got, finally got some dollars in and immediately started turning out DLC as fast as we possibly could. Yeah. And that was, that's really hard to make new content while parts of the foundation of your game are rigid or are flimsy and need more support. You know, you need to be fixing things. Right. But that's the balance. That's the juggle, right? If you just focused on fixing things, you lose your audience. No one wants to play the game anymore. Yep. They moved on, you know, because there yeah. wasn't enough content. It wasn't enough new things. So it's that balance act between the two of like, fix, fix, you know, fix these 10 things and let's get these two things new and then back and forth and back and forth and balance and balance and balance until you start to get a decent pipeline going. You start killing some of the bigger bugs. So you can be like, oh, thank God, I got that thing fixed. Then let's move on to the next thing. And then you decide to <clears throat> upgrade the engine because you want dedicated servers. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the version of Unreal that we were running on, uh, dedicated servers couldn't run on it. Oh, wow. And we needed dedicated servers because everyone was playing. We, we had so many numbers. The numbers were huge. I mean... Huge in the world of indie, not huge in the world of like Call of Duty, but sure. you know, 150,000 uniques, um, you know, 150,000 concurrence That's... is okay, pretty okay for an indie <laughs> game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we were, we needed dedicated, and the version of Unreal didn't support it, so we had to make a call. Like, what are we going to do? Do we never have dedicated, or do we go? Do we jump up? And if we jump up, it means it's a whole new version of DirectX, a new renderer. You know what that means. Anything that renders now has to be touched. So everything you visually see in the game will be changed and needs to be 
need to go back over it again with like a fine tooth comb and make sure it works. You're almost talking remaster at that point. <laughs> Pretty much. And we had to do that with a live version of the game out. Oh, man. Yeah. So was this and DLC it, stuff, uh, was it paid DLC or was it stuff you were just adding into the game? Mixture, it was a mixture of, of, I tried to do, I tried to do is like 75, 25, 75 stuff, 75% of stuff we do is free and 25% of stuff you buy. Okay. That's what, that's like sort of the model I tried to do so that it didn't feel like we were like trying to get a bunch of money out of people. Yeah. Uh, I'm not motivated by money. I mean, money is what keeps the lights on. Obviously it lets us do the things we want to do, but uh, I'm motivated by like making cool shit. Yeah. that's what only, only thing I want to do. So, and of course, you know, you, your investors love it whenever you make a bunch of money, but it's just never been a motivator for me. I've never been like, yeah, man, you know, cause money's just, a, it's a tool like anything else. It's like, okay, if you have enough to do the thing, then great. Like if you have extra tools laying around, what good is that? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, that was a big, that was a big call that I had to make and it was a painful one. I bet because it broke a it broke a bunch of shit, and at the same time, basically, like, as soon as we came out the other side of that, the lawsuit began, and yeah. so that became like pretty much the darkest point of my life. Because <laughs> the thing that the thing that I poured everything into, the thing that I loved dearly, was taken from me, and and that was hard because you make that call to get dedicated which meant a lot of content got paused yeah. to make that jump. But we had to get dedicated because like so many people were playing the game and they were having so many problems and so many bugs, so much latency. We're like, we can fix this. Like all these, pro a lot of these problems go away with a dedicated server. We've got to roll this out. And we made the call and it set everything back. Yeah. So we get it out. We're probably like, thank God. Like it's running smooth. And people are like, Hey, game's running really great. And we're like, let's turn that content machine back on baby. Right. <laughs> we'll start building the, we'll start building the things and then the lawsuit oh man so and we were we were like you can't talk about it like while it was going on like le like from a legal standpoint we were informed you cannot talk about this to anybody you couldn't so talk about the lawsuit it's like you couldn't talk that you were in a lawsuit right okay we, we were that's why we can't talk about it oh i see it's not our loss it's not our lawsuit I see. It was against Horror Inc. and Victor Miller. Gotcha. We were just caught in the crosshairs of it. You know, we were making a product that had the Friday 13th name on it. So we were judges' orders were stop putting content in it because that would be seen as a new product. And until this all this litigation clears up, we can't have anything in the gray. So stop. Wow. And try to you try to explain that to a, you know, 10 million, whatever plus player base. Yeah. <laughs> but when you can't, when the, like legally you're, you're not, you can't talk about this cause you're not named in this suit. It, this isn't your suit. It's someone else's lawsuit. <sighs> so you have to shut up. So I'm like, okay. So we just, I just sat there and eat shit all day long. So you couldn't respond at all. Like we, like, had, like a, we had a canned response that we were allowed to post. Gotcha. That's it. Man, that's, that's wild. Like I've definitely never been in any I mean, kind of situation I like that. It. I understood <laughs> it from a legal standpoint because like it, that makes sense. Like it's not our thing, but like we want to defend ourselves. We want to tell people what's going on. We want to say like, this ain't us, but you know, we could, we can't. And 
I, but I, I get it. It was ongoing litigation. Like we could potentially hurt ourselves if we're like starting to run our mouth about it. Like we could get pulled into something. I don't know. You know, yeah. like it was, it was a scary time, like for everybody, for everybody. It was, no one wants to have legal woes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not fun. It, it kills the creative creativity of like the whole point of it. Right. So it was just a dark time. It was hard. It was very hard because you not only do you want to keep making the thing that you love, the thing that you've worked on since 2013, the, you put everything you got into it, both like mentally, physically and financially. Yeah. You, and, and you're told you have to stop. And when you want to like tell people what's going on, you can't. Man. So you're just like left to, you know, your own, you just figure, figure it out. You know, Man. so like I, I did everything <laughs> in my power to keep servers going as long as we could. Um, you know, money out of our own pocket to do that. I kept them going as long as it was like financially viable to do it. Cause I knew players still played the game. People still loved the game. We fixed what we could fix, you know, in terms of bugs, continue to reinvest in that. Cause that's not free. Right. You know, like every time, every month, you know, for people in chat, the sort of industry average 10,000 per man per month is sort of the industry average, meaning there's one person working on your game. That one person gets $10,000 a month. Right. So it's not cheap to continue development, continuing to support a game, especially when your content pipelines turned off. Yeah. Because when, when you think about DLC, a lot of that's what, where that's going. When that money's coming in the door, especially for smaller teams or DLC, it's just turning around and paying you know, the dev team to keep supporting it, keep building it, keep, keep putting stuff in the game. Because launch is not the finish line. Launch is the start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially in a game like that. Yeah. Right. So we've got about 10 minutes or so left. Yeah. Uh, but I've been sitting on a question from the chat that that's probably now is the best time to ask that. And okay. it was, if you could go back and redo Friday the 13th now, would you? Mm. Like and go through all that stuff again? Well, I mean, like if you could redo it now, like today, go back and just remake the game, w would you do that again? Um, I'm trying to fully understand the question. Do you mean, uh, would I go back in time and do all this all over again with a lawsuit and all the things that happened or starting today, knowing what everything was happened, would I make a 4k remake, which are you asking? Yeah, for? I, I think it's the, so the question that was asked is it was basically left with, or are you completely done? So I, I think the vibe might be, would you go back through that, you know, again, or, or are you kind of like ready to move on from that? Right. Um, I mean, obviously I would do it all over again, even with the pain. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, you, like you marry your soulmate, but they, they passed away from some horrible health condition. Would you, would you do it again? Yeah. Cause it was still love. Like it was still an experience that not pe many people get to have. Yeah. I'd do it again. And I'd take the pain again. Um, I probably would have redone some contracts. <laughs> um, 
but like am i am i done with friday 13th forever like i know i'm focused on texas right now and it's like again the way i make things i obsess on them and and that's i think why we're we're different that's why when you look at a game that gun makes it's not like other games even in the same genre we're different and it's because we obsess over the smallest things mm. and that kind of obsession requires complete and utter dedication to the subject matter right like can't you can't be half in you have to be all in yeah. but i love friday the 13th would i jump at the chance of the future to do something with it again probably um i'm a fan i'm yeah. a fan just like everyone else is a fan of that like yep. i love that there's a bit of a clarification they're saying if you could start making content for 13 again is that something you'd oh. be interested in doing um not at this point yeah you got a lot not, going on yeah i got yeah <laughs> you got a lot going on um so not not now no no it's it's also kind of still it's still painful yeah um it still hurts to it still hurts I bet that's, that's a man. I, I can't imagine going through that, especially with like, it's clear how much you cared about that. Right. And everything that you put into that, to then just kind of have that rug pulled out from under you. That's, that's difficult. Yeah. And you, and there's people in chat that I'm, I mean, I know pretty, a lot of these people here and they know what we faced online, like the hatred we dealt with on social media yeah, and whatever else. Right. Um, it was that was hard like people don't know what their words do to people but uh in our situation that was hard to deal with because it was something that was taken from us and we love it yeah and we were we were broken and then you you turn to like the people who love to play your game and you hope that they're in your corner when you're going through this right know, this pain and instead they're like fuck you you abandoned the game and you're like, bro, no, <laughs> like we're over here. We're hurting over here, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and even still today, like literally still today, I get, I get that. Like people still see it. There's people in here that in this chat have probably seen it as much as like a week or so ago. Someone will still say it. Go look at the Texas, you know, video on YouTube and read the comments. There's still people in there that are like, oh, another game they're going to abandon. It's Man. Like, there's so much news sources you can go read what really happened. You know, all this stuff is public knowledge. The litigation is all public knowledge. Uh, Larry Zerner, you know, the, one of the attorneys that used to be in the movie who was in our game has like a breakdown in layman's terms of what's going on with the Friday 13th IP. There's so much data to like educate yourself on, but they don't, people don't read that and they just go, Oh, they must've just been some, money grubbing whatever and they abandoned right. the game to they took the money and ran I'm like what money <laughs> like i put every dime in friday you know it's like i don't know it's frustrating it's frustrating when people won't educate themselves and so they just attack you know that's yeah. it's hard when you, you you get kicked when you're down you know absolutely Sucks. that's you the the thing that you said that resonated most with me is you would hope that your fan base would be in your corner Right. And, yeah. and to have the opposite, like the opposite, you know, is, is it is, wasn't everybody like we had people right. that, that were in our corner. Don't get it twisted, but 
we heard a lot of hate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's that's not e- that's not easy on your best day. It's just when you're you're no. in the middle of hurting too, you know. Yeah, and dealing with death threats and dealing with pictures of your house put online with you know what to do, boys, oh, stuff like that. No. Oh yeah. no. Having to like explain to your wife who is not in any way associated with video games, like why there's a picture of front of your house online. Oh. And w- and w- and what does that mean? And she's scared. Yeah. Why? And why is she scared? Because you made a game. Man. Yeah. That's that's the that's the stuff that makes you want to go work at Home Depot. Yeah, it makes you second guess. I, I I've been through a little bit of that myself, so not not quite as bad. Um, mm. but you know, it's it, it definitely makes you think twice, right? It's like because the people that do this, we are all very passionate about what we do, right? You mm-hmm. are in games because you care about it. You love the creative outlet, you love being a part of this, and you put so much of yourself into what you're doing. And then to hear that kind of stuff is just, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. You never think a part of your job is like, you know, today is an you know, internal pitch day. Tomorrow is we're doing some uh, pre-production and looking at early mocap data. And then Thursday I meet with the FBI. Right. <laughs> Cause I've no. done that. That's been a schedule that I've had. Man. And you sit across from like FBI agents and you got to talk about threats. That. Yeah, it's just but to think that's what you have to do when you make games it's just absurd it's just it's it's a it shouldn't happen yeah absolutely not so man that I, I i don't want to end on a somber note <laughs> so yeah sorry about that man so, no, sorry. No, no 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 don't be sorry uh we're just getting close to time so one thing I definitely need to have you back on because we've got so much more stuff to to uh, yeah, to do. So we'll we'll talk about a time to to bring you back on. Uh, but in the meantime, is there is there anything that you want to tell? Like any last things that are on your mind from what we've talked about today, or just in general that you want to make sure we you get a chance to talk about today? Uh, if you want to make games, uh, make them. Start modding. Get uh, get to know people locally. Surround yourself with people that also want to make games. Learn from them. Uh, it's going to be hard, and it, that's the point. Don't choose what's easy. Uh, I chose to build a game studio in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm I'm an island. There's nobody around me, but I'm doing it, and you can do it too. So we need more. We always need game devs. We need more ideas. We need different voices. Um, we need female developers. We need people of color, different backgrounds. We need different voices. So make games. Uh, we every everyone will be better because of it. Um, that that's what I'd like to see. Uh, watch more horror movies. They're fun. And they remind you of your humanity. And it's okay to watch silly ones and laugh at them. Because when you laugh at what's ugly, it's not so scary anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just be good to yourself. Be good to your friends. Tell people you care about them because they might not be here. And, uh, yeah, watch watch more of Jameson's content. He's putting out good stuff. And I appreciate him taking the time to talk to 
nerds like me and give us a platform to share our little stories and hopefully inspire the next generation of of creators. So thank you, James. I appreciate that. No, I, I love it. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. I, I enjoy this. I, I hope that people get a lot out of it. I always do. So, so I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I look forward to, to talking more later because we didn't get to talk much about Texas at all. So, well, I'm, I'm happy to schedule another one in the future to, for us to get into, to, uh, to the depths of, of Texas and start, start walking through the trials and tribulations of that. So far, that would be fun. Yeah. All right. We'll schedule yeah. that and, and make that happen. For now, I'm going to jump off and say my goodbyes. Thank you again. We'll, we'll figure that out, and I will talk to you soon. I appreciate you. See you, Jeff. Hey, thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications below so you'll know when new episodes are ready. If you're interested in the audio version of the podcast, I've got links for that in the show notes for you. And if you want to join us live and get your own questions answered, we're at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Have a good week, and we'll see you soon. Of time we had um, a producer in Activision who was looking at an associate producer who worked for like a year on a bunch of small projects, and then one guy that came out halfway through a big project that was cancelled. And the senior producer, his, his name is Matt Hull. Matt is now one of the uh, principal producers on Halo. And Matt was saying, I would take this guy who worked a year on all these small projects over this guy that worked on this big game that canceled because he knows how to ship a title. Mm -hmm. The guy that worked on all these small projects, right? Like, Jameson could tell you, I could tell you, anybody here that makes games could tell you, shipping a game, shipping the game, getting it on the store, shipping the game, not finishing it. That is very hard to do. Sure <laughs> it is. It is very hard to do right i was talking I, to somebody about that the other day and we're talking about how like 80 the first 80 percent you know anybody can contribute to that the closing yes. part though man that yeah. is that it is so much like it's not 20 percent of the work right like yeah. not even close yeah <laughs> yeah like that